Anonymous Eskimo, Episode 110 Subject Warning This episode includes discussions about suicide, mental illness, substance misuse, and self-harm. These topics can be difficult to discuss, but talking about them helps recuse the stigma around the subject matter and encourages help-seeking. If you are feeling overwhelmed or in crisis, please call the care line at 1-877-266-4357. Again, that's 1-877-266-HELP or dial 988 to be connected to the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Welcome to the Anonymous Eskimo Podcast, where my guests share their stories about mental health, sobriety, recovery, and hope for people still struggling with mental health issues, alcohol, and drug addiction. If you'd like to help support this podcast, please visit my website at anonymouseskimo.com. That's www.anonymouseskimo.com. And click on the donate button. There, you have three different options to donate. First, you can donate directly through PayPal. Second, you can make a one-time donation through Buy Me a Coffee. And third, you can support the podcast by clicking on the store button, where you can get anonymous Eskimo merch. While you're visiting my website, please take some time to rate this podcast and write a review. Recording from Denina Land, I'm your host, Ralph Sara. On today's show, I have Hopi, Shoshone, and Mexican rapper, songwriter, actor, cancer survivor, and advocate, Jimmy Gomez, who is better known as a founding member of the Black Eyed Peas and his stage name, Tabu Nawasha. Tabu is 16 years sober, and on this show, he shares his story for those who are still struggling. So guys, please help me welcome Jimmy Tabu Gomez. Okay, on today's show, I have Hopi, Shoshone, and Mexican rapper, songwriter, actor, cancer survivor and advocate Jimmy Gomez who is better known as a founding member of the Black Eyed Peas and his stage name Tabu Nawasha. Yes sir what's up Ralph how you doing and to all the listeners it's an honor. Uh, I am actually in Washington DC. I was in New York yesterday for the Indigenous Peoples Day celebration with all my relatives and all the amazing allies that came to support. I actually met your friend from uh, from New Zealand, who connected me with uh, you know, with just the idea of of uh, wanting to champion uh, the company that you, I, I believe it's a T-shirt company that had the words strong, sober, and indigenous, and I was moved by that because 
you know, I'm always trying to support companies that embrace the idea of sobriety. And that's something that's very important to me. Oh, wow. How was the celebration? It was great, man. It was beautiful, beautiful uh, relatives coming out to support. You know, I was part of the Indigenous People's Day in Los Angeles, my hometown. Uh, I'm an Angelino, born and raised in Los Angeles. Love my city. And it was great to be able to to change up uh, the the Columbus Day to be able to celebrate Indigenous People's Day in Los Angeles. Awesome. So you met Nina Kay then? Correct. Nina, amazing relative from New Zealand. Um, she spoke very highly about, you know, wanting to bring me to New Zealand so I could talk to the youth and inspire the youth. But one of the things that we really connected on was sobriety and sober living and, and how we as voices to our communities are able to empower the idea of how great that is, you know? Yeah, definitely. Now, you've been sober for 16 years. Yes, sir. Can you go ahead and like tell everybody what your life looked like before you got sober and why you decided to get sober? Yeah. So, um, you know, I have addiction within my family. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, my uncle was a drug addict. My stepfather was an alcoholic. And so alcoholism and drug abuse ran in my family really deep uh, growing up. So I was around it. I saw it. Um, so naturally, it was not a taboo, no pun intended, but pun intended. It wasn't a taboo in my lifestyle because it was at my household. It was around at parties. And, you know, of course, a lot of our tribal communities, we deal with alcoholism and, and, and substance abuse and depression and all these different demons that we battle. And as I started to really tap into uh, my professional life as a performer, as an entertainer, it started becoming excessive partying, which in turn became an addiction to the lifestyle. The obsession of drinking became part of not only a social uh, conversation, it became a daily conversation, which was a very dark one because, you know, you're on the go, you're performing, everybody's having fun, drinks are being passed around. At the same time, drinks are being passed around. Joints are being passed around. At the same time, there's other substances substances that are being passed around. So, you know, I was a young man that got caught up. Um, and I speak very candidly about it because if I could motivate and inspire people, especially in our tribal communities and, and allies in different uh, communities, then that's my job, man. That's my responsibility because I feel like not only do I create music, not only do I write books, not only am I entertain an entertainer, I'm also a champion of sobriety and, and, and sober living because I know that my fame, although I worked my ass off for it, my fame and the status and, and money and all that stuff has to be secondary to the living, to the idea of life, the idea of clarity. And in 2007, I fell really hard because I was going – 100 miles per hour, you know, uh, substance abuse, alcoholism. And in 2007, I crashed into somebody on the freeway at seven or eight in the morning. And that was my moment. I went to uh, the local jail. I was in there for eight hours. And uh, it just, you know, I did a lot of soul searching for those eight hours. Mm -hmm. And then I came home. I came home and that was it, man. I called my, my team. I said, guys, 
I have a problem. I need help. So I went into, I didn't go into recovery. I went into this, this, uh, situation called Prometa, which takes urges, uh, and cravings away. It was like a, it was like a, a treatment, like a three day treatment of going in, getting, uh, replenished the brain cells that I had killed. And, t- and basically it's, it's a treatment that allowed me to have a natural healing from withdrawals or feeling like, you know, I was getting sick or any of that stuff because I, you know, I was dependent on the drugs and the alcohol. And, um, as you know, a lot of people, it's hard for, for folks to, to kick it without getting sick, you know, and I speak, speak very highly about where I'm at now because I was able to overcome that, Mm -hmm. but I'm also empathetic about those folks that don't have the ability to do pro meta or to go into a, a a facility and get well. So, you know, I, I just, um, when I see people that are, that need healing, I just, try to spread as much positivity and optimism and love because we lead with love, especially when you're in this, in the state where you want to give back and inspire people. Yeah. And and I heard that in a previous interview, you said you lead with love and you can apply that to like all parts of life, but I'm interested in the area of like sobriety and recovery. Um, There's a stigma that's attached to, to uh, where people look down at, others that are in recovery or struggling and look down upon them. Uh, I'm interested in how you lead with love in like recovery and um, with people struggling. Um, Well, we all are imperfect humans. We don't, you know, we don't all have the same frequencies that, you know, we all share uh, one thing and that's you, you're born and you die. Right. And along that journey, you try to figure out how you can become a better version of yourself. Yes, you're going to have mistakes. Yes, there's going to be landmines. Yes, you're going to have, you know, imperfect days and moments where you're feeling at your lowest. But what I, I try to do is I try to use my testimony very candidly, very open, uh, very um, shooting from the hip, not trying to cover up anything, not sugarcoating anything because a lot of times people think I live this glamorous lifestyle. I don't because I still deal with the demons of the past, you know, whether it's uh, thinking about certain time periods, videos that I see online. I'm like, man, I was so intoxicated in that video or man, you know, I look at old pictures of when I used to have long hair and I, and I was like 110 pounds because I was using and abusing. And I'm like, wow, that's a dark time period. So it still haunts me. It's still like part of my history, but I've come so far to be able to use that history to be able to say, look, this was me at one point. I've come this far because of resilience, because of will, because of love, because of loving myself and wanting to make sure that I always learn from my mistakes of the past so that I can at least try to become a better version of myself because I have kids, man. I want to inspire my kids. And yes, they're going to walk the experimenting path because they're, they're getting older. My son's in high school. I talk to him about my situation as bluntly as possible because he is a teenager. He understands it. We don't need to sugarcoat anything. We just be as 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 uh transparent as possible but at the end of the day it's it's uh it's something that that i've i've really learned how to process 
and how to be, once again, empathetic about those that may not have the same mindset that I have. But I feel like because I've come so far and because I do have this platform that speaks to millions of people because of the music thing, but yet I've uh, surrendered my ego and I've surrendered the the old me to become the new me that will inspire and motivate. I feel like, you know, people will, are more keen to listening to that part of my life because it's like, oh, you're human just like us. Yes, I'm human just like everybody else. Yes, I bleed. Yes, I make mistakes. Yes, I fall. But it's like, how do I dust myself off to be able to become the person that I am today? And that's that's a long answer to your question because I like to be as detailed and as as uh, give you as much to work with so that people can see that that I, you know, I'm still learning, man. I'm a student of the, of the game. I'm a student of life. I'm a student that wants to continue um, improving the skills and, and be a better version. Man, that's so powerful. That's, that is power right there. Thank you. Uh, you are a cancer survivor. Yes, sir. You said that that was your ultimate battle, that it was something that you could not control. And you had yep. moments where you wanted to give up. But then you yep. said you entered your warrior spirit mode. Can you yep. tell us more about your warrior spirit mode? Yes, sir. So um, the first time I unlocked that part of me was battling addiction because there was a, a dark demon that had kept uh, illuminating. And it was an ancient demon that I, I think, you know, took over my dad's life and was taking over my, my, uh, my uncle's life, my first uncle, my mom's brother. And it was part of part of our world, you know, whatever that demon, that that dark force that was the addiction, the illuminating presence in a substance form was really trying to take me under. And, you know, I hate to use it as a metaphor, but I that's the only way that I can explain it. It was trying to take all the light all the strength that our ancestors have given us through resilience, through through overcoming traumas, dealing with traumas, coping with traumas. And I felt like a lot of times I would look in that mirror and I would say, okay, one more, this is my last time. And I would end up doing it again the next day. And the demon would smile back at me. And it was a dark, dark, dark time period. And when I battled that demon and won and became sober, that was the first time my warrior spirit, spirit kicked in. And it was an ancient warrior spirit that said, we fought at the Battle of Little Bighorn. We fought many, many uh, different battles amongst, amongst uh, uh, different tribes and, and, and colonizers. And for some reason, I felt like this is my, my first battle and I'm going to win this. And so that was the first time I, the warrior spirit came into play. After that, I was like, man, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm sober. There's nothing that's going to bring me down. I'm on a high. And then guess what? I get hit with something as dark as cancer in 2014. Mm-hmm. So then I'm going into, I'm going to die. I'm not going to be here for my wife and my kids. I'm not going to be able to perform ever again. I'm going into all these crazy stories, creating crazy stories in my mind. I do chemotherapy. It's like war torture. And uh, and uh, a nightmare all in one happening inside my body. You got to kill everything that's good in your body to kill that one tumor that's bad, right? Mm. So 
Um, there was moments where I was like, I'm not going to go into chemotherapy sessions anymore. And my wife was the kind of like the rock that kept me motivated. She kept me inspired. And she said, we need you. We, we, we cannot give up. You cannot allow this cancer to take over you. So offsetting that with holistic healing and trying to find unorthodox methods of, of healing my mind and, and my body, I went into warrior spirit. And that was because I had visions of my grandmother saying, keep your, keep your, um, your hands in the soil, stay connected to Mother Earth. And that was just her. I mean, she was so proud of, of her ancestry and our roots as a native woman from Jerome, Arizona, that that's what I, what I kept seeing when I was doing chemotherapy. I kept seeing these visions. Fortunately, I won that battle. September 4th, 2014 was my last chemo run. And I went into remission. And now I've been, you know, cancer free since 2014, September of 2014. And I could honestly say that that was the ultimate fight. That was the ultimate warrior coming into warrior mode. And uh, it allowed me to tap into reconnected with my native roots because after that I needed a healing I needed a calling and that calling led me to Standing Rock and when I went to Standing Rock I stood in solidarity with a lot of native tribal communities a lot of indigenous people from around the world a lot of allies that came to be of service and stand in solidarity with the Standing Rock Sioux tribe and the water projectors I spoke to elders at the drum circle and at the sacred fire I went to the Yosheti camp and um I really found my purpose. I found what I was supposed to do beyond just be a black IP. Uh, I found my voice as an indigenous man to be able to put my best foot forward as a, as a voice, as a beacon of light and inspiration to tribal communities and to be the best version of myself to inspire the next seven generations. Wow, man. Man, so, so inspiring. And you know that warrior spirit you talk about, it can be applied to people who are struggling with alcohol or addiction as well, either drugs or alcohol, you know, people like me, I had over three years of sobriety and then I fell and there were times where I just wanted to give up and you know, the shame and the stigma that was just, it just weighed me down, you know, but, yeah. but listening to you say this you know, get the warrior spirit. It it gives me a renewed sense of fight, you know, like Correct. I'm down. Like if you fall, you get back up, you dust yourself yeah. off, you don't give up. And, and you know, you're not alone in this. No, you're not. You're not. And, yeah. and honestly, man, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I would never, ever. And people say, don't ever say never. I'm saying never. Go back to the guy that I used to be that was using and abusing, bro. Like, now I'm going to keep it 100 with you. That version of me is is so disgustingly dark and so uh, pathetic because the way that I've become this voice, this strength, this, this conduit of hope, I wasn't that when I was using and abusing, bro. Like, I wasn't proud. My grandmother would not be proud of that version. It's I was diminishing the light. That is our ancestry. That is our people. That is our community. That is the legend of how we were able to be resilient people and how we led with community and love. That wasn't me. That was the drugs and the alcohol back in the day. So I would never want to ever fall victim to that idea because I love myself, bro. And a lot of people don't say they love themselves. A lot of people have pride 
and and are scared to love to openly love themselves and care about their well being because they're so caught up in in what people are going to think. At the end of the day, bro, like we only have one life. Creator gave us one life. So if you diminish that life and you allow these distractions and dark forces just because you like that high or that because you're feeling something and you want to go into this this uh, curling up like a ball nah bro we're too strong our people our ancestors have fought too hard they put it down for us so for us to allow substances and alcohol and distractions to be a way out mm. yeah seriously yeah. and I'm, I'm i'm being honest man a lot of yep. kids need to hear this yeah because it's that's it's BS when I think about people that relapse. Mm-hmm. It's it's bad. It's dumb. It's not cool. I'm not for it because if I've come 16 years, I know that you can do the same thing. We're all people of vulnerability. We all we all have vices that that we cater to. Like when I stopped using and abusing one of the vices that I got into was green tea. Like I started drinking a lot of tea. I don't know why I got into drink green tea, but for some reason that became my vice. So on a daily basis, I was always drinking green tea. Mm. And it's not the best thing to do because there's a lot of caffeine, but I, I gave up drinking and I gave up substance abuse. And then I picked up this other thing because I am an addict. I do have an addictive personality, but it's like trying to figure out how to have moderation because the existing gene of addiction is still there, bro. I, so I'm like, when I move away from something, then I pick up something else. So that's why I started getting into like back into training and working out and dancing and writing and creating because that love and that appreciation for for expressing myself i'd rather be addicted to that and going to the gym and feeling great and 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 putting my my health and wellness before anything else than to be caught up in like i'm in a hotel room you know using uh drinking by myself not even going out to a, a spot and socially drinking now it's like i'm doing it by myself that's that's who I used to be, bro. I used to be that one, you know, the, the lonely guy that was all inebriated because I, I was scared what people would think. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you know, when you're going through that, people don't always talk about the like the mental health part of struggling or, or recovery even. They seem to skip that part of it. When you were fighting cancer, you mentioned that as well. You, people don't talk about the mental health aspect of yes, it. Yes, sir. Can you talk about the mental health aspect of it? Yeah, man. Like um, there is the physical sense, you know, because you feel it in your body. You get drained, fatigue, chemo brain. Um, but the reality is coping with the trauma of, is it going to hit me again? Am I going to get cancer again? You start playing all these head games. You start feeling like you're not yourself anymore because you have, you lost your hair, you lost your eyebrows, you you have that, that yellow skin from the chemotherapy. You're nauseated. You don't want to eat because of the, the, the uh, metallic taste from the chemo. So you create this whole scenario of trauma that you experience and you start like having mental lapses and mental breakdowns. And, you know, a lot of people don't know how to cope with it. So for me, it was like trying to find unconventional ways to cope with the mental aspect. And whether it was writing a song like the fight that I wrote and it helped my, it was part of like my therapy. It, it helped me heal. But then when I watch something on TV and it reminds me of 
the IV and the chemo going in my bloodstream or I smell a smell, it triggers. There's triggers. Just like when you're in recovery, there's triggers of, of you know, of addiction. But same thing goes for when you're when you're a cancer survivor, you start seeing things. You see another a person says something about their experience, and it reminds you. It takes you back to when you were dealing with your trauma and your sessions of chemo, um, and it always brings you back. I've had to grow from that time period because now I have a totally different perspective about life and listening to my body, making sure I put health before wealth, uh, making sure I put my wellness before any uh, career or job, making sure that my family's straight before anything. Because at the end of the day, the biggest fear for me was not being able to take care of my wife and my kids and be there to see my kids grow into high school, graduate, and go into adult life. Because I always kept thinking, am I going to be able to beat this? Am I going to survive this? Mm, man. Can you tell us about your ties with like Marvel and comics? Yes. So my my love for uh, toy, it started with toys, right? I, I'm a big toy collector. And I started going to Comic-Con. And as a toy collector, I started to meet different vendors and different companies. And Marvel Comics was one of those companies that I met at Comic-Con. This guy named Daniel Fink. Daniel Fink actually became a good friend. He 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 asked me one time. He's like, "Yo, have you ever thought about, you know, creating anything?" And I was, and at that time it was like maybe like 2011, 2012. I wasn't really focused on I guess you could say storytelling from a comic perspective. But then fast forward to a couple of years after that, in 2018, Black Eyed Peas did a, a comic book called Master of the Sun. And I met a guy named Ben B. Earl, who wrote the book with Will I Am, and from that point I said, "Yo, I want to tell stories from a, from an indigenous perspective. I want to I want to create, you know, our own heroes, heroes without capes that happen to be native from a native lens." And so we became partners. And fast forward, we were able to meet C. B. Sabolski, who became our our friend. He became a brother to me. TB is the chief editor at Marvel. He gave me the my first opportunity to write my first book with along with B. Earl, my co-writer. That was Werewolf by Night. The second book was uh, Kashala, the Spirit Rider, which comes from the Ghost Rider lore. Third book that we wrote was Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man, um, along with a new character named Dream Spider, who happens to be the first Native American Spider-Woman. And then uh, the new book we just dropped was Daredevil and Echo, which is an amazing matriarch uh, hero, Maya Lopez, who's who's uh, an amazing Native woman who will be having a TV show on Disney+. Plus. So all this amazing journey with Marvel has just been an extension of me as a creative, as a storyteller, but being able to apply my personal touch on it has been a, a blessing because we also bring relatives from Indian country, from different tribal communities to be able to participate as, as giving us the blessing for each story, whether it's, uh, um, you know, for example, Kashal is Apache. So I brought in an, an Apache relative to be able to read and give us insight to, to give it an authentic, genuine representation from an Apache perspective. Um, and we're doing that with all our books. We're going on our new project, which will be coming out soon. It'll be announced soon. I can't say anything yet, 
but we have four books in the can and I'm really proud to be part of the Marvel family. Wow, man, that's so awesome. Have you have you heard of Tribal Force? I have not heard of Tribal Force. What is that? It's a comic book um, with all Native American uh, cast of superheroes. It's done by John Proudstar. I've had him oh, on this. Dope. I've had had him on this uh, show on uh, on this uh, the show. Um, but he was in Reservation Dogs. He played Willie Jack's dad. And he, nice. and he came up with uh, Tribal Force, which is which is pretty cool, too. That's awesome, man. I love that. You're an advocate for indigenous and Latino people, and and you yep. stood up at uh, Standing Rock, like you said, against yes, uh, Dapple. But yep. instead of feeling the negativity about you know the indigenous issues and what we're going through, you said you want to educate people. Can you uh-huh. can you elaborate on that? The majority of the world does not know that indigenous people even exist, brother, and that's the honest truth. A lot of people don't even know that native people in the U.S., North America, even exist. A lot of the Europeans, because I tour, tour a lot of Europe, all they know is whatever Hollywood or TV presents as, oh. you know, and so I have to educate people around the world. Like when I wear my, my turquoise, they're like, oh, what is, you know, what is that? Or when I wear my beadwork and I have to explain what the beadwork is or the the different organizations that I'm part of, or the the the, the posts that I post on my Instagram, they're like, wait, there's an Indigenous People's Day in Los Angeles, and I have to educate people and inform them because a lot of people don't know. It's like you have these non-natives rocking war bonnets at at music festivals, and a lot of times they have no idea what you know what that represents to tribal communities. So you have to educate folks. A lot of people don't know that. You know when they're when they dress up at for Halloween in costumes and they're wearing feathers and war paint. It's like, you know, they have to be educated. Same thing goes for when when it comes to certain things that that I'm a part of to be able to um, inspire people around the world. Because, like for example, I just came from Mexico. I didn't know about the tribal communities in Mexico un- until I went into these communities: the Maya, the Mexica, Azteca. There was a, a, a tribal uh, member from a, a, a tribe in Querétaro in Mexico that I learned a lot about, about him and his tribe. And so it's, it's being a student, educating myself, informing, having a cultural exchange, and not claiming to know everything about every single tribe because there's so many tribes around the world. Just wanting to be a student and give my platform to show light to these heroes without capes because they deserve it. They deserve the conversation. They deserve to be interviewed. They deserve to have the platform because I'm inspired by anyone that's trying to put, put on for, you know, traditional uh, holding on to preserving the past, but do it in a, in a modern way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, in my story, I speak about, like being ashamed of being native when I was young, you know, feeding into that stigma that natives are dumb, dirty, and drunk. And it took me a while to get past that identity. You wrote a children's book called A Kid's Book About Identity. Can you tell us how you're empowering our youth, you know, being proud of our heritage and celebrating our culture? Yeah, man, growing up in L.A., my only direct connection to my um, my ancestry was my grandmother. She's a proud woman, a native woman from Jerome, Arizona. 
Um, she always talked about Jerome. She never claimed Los Angeles. So growing up, I grew up in a Mexican community, but I didn't speak Spanish correctly. I spoke the way that a lot of kids in East LA speak, which is broken. We don't have a direct connection to Mexico or our ancestry in Mexico. So I was living in, in, in many worlds. I was in a, a, you know born in the United States, um, had a, a native grandmother who never claimed LA, and I was an LA kid. Uh, I was also had roots from my my uh, my Mexican side, Sonora which I never went to as a kid. I never had been to Mexico or Sonora, Mexico. And so I didn't identify with anything. I was just kind of like lost for a long time, bro. Like I didn't know. I wasn't native enough because I wasn't from the res and I didn't speak the language. I didn't know how, how much, you know, to, to, to really connect with on that side. And I wasn't, you know, 100% 100% understanding my Mexican culture because I didn't grow up in Mexico. I didn't have a direct li- link to that. So then I started really understanding, doing research uh, on my my past, wanting to educate myself, learning about colonization, both in, in uh, the United States and in Mexico and Mexico and Arizona and Mexico being one at one time when it was territories and knowing that I can celebrate and honor the beauty that is our indigenous foundation prior to colonization. I'm from the Mexican side and from my native uh, Shoshone Hopi side. So as I grew older, I said, you know what? I want to empower more kids that are biracial, Mm. that live in both worlds. So let me make a book about identity, not just about race, color, creed. Let's talk about gender. Let's talk about faith. Let's talk about demographic, environment, all these different things that make up your identity. I was a hip hop kid that loved hip hop culture, but, you know, I also was proud of learning to be the, the inspiration to Indian country and be like one of the dopest B-boys that was breakdancing and battling other crews and, and wanting to represent for like, yo, that native Mexican kid from East LA is dope. He, he's a breakdancer. He's an MC, but he always remembers where he comes from and he's learning to educate himself to, to become a better um, example to lead by example. And unfortunately, you know, it took me a long time to really understand being a voice. And I said it in one of one of these interviews that, you know, sometimes you need something as detriment as as a, a moment of clarity to understand the power of your voice. And for me, it was when I battled cancer. And then after that, when I went to Standing Rock, it all presented itself on how to be an advocate, how to champion the idea of identity. And so that's why it was a natural, innate thing for me to write a kid's book about identity so that we can start with the seven generations, so we can start with the youth and empower and embrace the empowerment and appreciate and impact and move in the direction of inspiring the youth. Wow, man. You you also did a couple of kids animated shows. What What made you start to venture into kids' content? Well, I'm a dad, man. At the end of the day, I'm just a dad, bro. I'm not, I don't claim to be like this glamorous, like rock star and and pop star. It's like, nah, man, at the end of the day, I'm taking kids to school. I'm picking them up. I'm getting my son ready for homecoming. I'm taking my daughter to tennis classes. I'm taking her to dance class. My other son, he goes to drum practice. So I'm just a dad. So I would be remiss if I did not cater to a kid's space because I deal with kids on a daily basis, my own kids. It was really my daughter that inspired me to do animation. Like I said, I'm a toy guy. I love toys, collectibles. 
I said, man, imagine being able to create animation and storytelling where I, where we can actually create toys and collectibles that go along with the animation. <laughs> so it's kind of like a, a two-handed thing for me as a, as a person that loves toys and, and animation. It was a natural thing for me to do that. And that's why I partnered up with Gomont. Uh, we have two things in the work right now. I actually did a lot of voiceover work with, uh, with Spirit Rangers, which is the first preschool native show on Netflix created by the showrunner Carissa Valencia, who's a Shumash. And she really empowered bringing in native actors, actresses. Uh, the, the, the writing room was all native based. And it was beautiful because we got to empower the idea of inspiring kids through this show, this preschool show. It's called Spirit Rangers and it's on Netflix. Oh man, that's so that's cool. You know, starting out with the kids, man, you know, start when they're young and, and, and empower them and, and get them to celebrate who they are. That's so awesome. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What, what would you say to someone who is, you know, struggling with alcohol or drink or addiction? What would you, how would you encourage them? I would just um, let you know, like you said earlier, you're not alone. That's, that's a, a common theme. Um, with trauma and addiction being trauma, it, it being a biological, psychological thing that people deal with because you're you're dealing with chemical substance abuse being pumped into your body. You're dealing with alcoholism, you know, changing your mood and giving you these chemical imbalances. So I, I feel for you. I'm, I empathize with that because I understand from both perspectives, the addiction, the cancer, the chemo, all that stuff, it, it it all goes hand in hand. So first of all, you're not alone. Second, you know, please get a, a, a support system to be able to help you along this journey because support system really go a long way, man. Like if I didn't have my, my wife and my kids and my my group to be able to help champion the idea of community and wanting to to overcome that and be kind of like a be a team player because you don't want to mess up the team. It's like I didn't want to be the guy, the drunk drug addict from the Black Eyed Peas. Like I don't, I didn't want to go out like that, bro. I was like, no, I need a support system. I need my team to to be there for me because I need as much help, all hands on deck, because this is a serious issue. So find a support system. You're not alone. You know, there's there's a there's organizations and hotlines that you can be a part of. There's ways to get help and do it in in a way where you know some some place places are just they just do it pro bono and they just provide a service to help others. Yeah, definitely. Where can people look you up, like you know socials and such? Yeah, so on Instagram, I'm at taboo t a b o o, and on Twitter, I am at T-A-B-B-E-P, tab B-E-P. And then you could also check out my, my uh, Black Eyed Peas page, which is at Black Eyed Peas on Instagram and at Black Eyed Peas on Twitter. I'm currently finishing up my Black Eyed Peas tour from Mexico st- straight to Indigenous Peoples Day in New York. Now I'm doing a show in Washington. And then I'll go home. And we have, uh, we have a couple of shows coming up. No, no touring, but we'll be headlining two shows at the Venetian for New Year's Eve. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Now, um, your song, the fight yes, sir. really inspired me, man. And with my fight against alcohol abuse, and I'm sure again with millions of other people in their struggles, 
Can I have your permission to use it for the outro of this show? Please, please use it. Please um, check. Also check out One World, um, which is on my my YouTube channel. It's featuring seven amazing native artists from different tribal communities. Uh, they're called the Mag Seven. They were part of my Standing Rock song called Stand Up, Standing Rock, No Dapple. So we have two videos that we put out, the Standing Rock song, and then we put out One World, and it's on my YouTube channel. If you go to Taboo YouTube channel, look up One World, and then the other song is called Stand Up, Standing Rock, No Dapple. And of course, The Fight. The Fight is is uh, is my uh, my way of, of uh, highlighting my experience as a cancer uh, survivor and letting people know that we're all in this fight together to never give up. Man, Taboo, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing. Um, much love. Thank you. Kuyana, Kuyana, thank you. I would also like to say a couple words uh, to my um, my Spanish-speaking indigenous relatives. Quiero mandar un saludo a todos los antepasados, a todos los abuelos, las abuelas, las comunidades indígenas, uh, por representar y apreciar estos momentos para aprender para ser una voz y, y dar orgullo a todas las comunidades indígenas. Thank you, brother. Have a good day. All right. Peace. Without further ado, this is The Fight by Taboo. See you more clear now I'ma take you on with no fear now My struggles ever brought me down And it's not gonna happen now Cause I'm a warrior, I'm a champion I'm a fighter, I'm not giving in So bring it on, I'm ready for the fight And I'ma survive this right Everything gonna be alright Everything gonna be alright Say Everything gonna be alright Everything gonna be alright Say there's so much joy, why don't we feel it? Can we feel it now? There's so much pain, oh, can we heal it? Can we heal it now? The fight is never ours alone, we're all in this together. Yeah. One life, one love, all you need is love. Give a little love, give a little love. What if you were told that today was the last day of your life? Did you live it right? Love is a gift you give away. So celebrate, see the beauty of every day, live the moments that we create, find the love in the empty space, life's a gift so let's give thanks, appreciate, just don't wait, yeah, just don't wait, come on, just don't wait, uh, come on. There's so much joy, why don't we feel it? There's so much pain, or can we heal it? Can we heal it now? The fight is never ours alone, we're all Give away and it reignites. 
person who would like to share your story about mental health issues, sobriety or recovery, or know a person who'd like to share their own story, visit my website at www.anonymouseskimo.com and drop me a line or leave me a voicemail so we can maybe bring hope to someone who is still struggling. If you'd like to help support this podcast, please visit my website at anonymouseskimo.com and click on the donate button. You can also support the podcast by clicking on the store button where you can get Anonymous Eskimo merch. While you're visiting my website, please take some time to rate this podcast and write a review. Listen next week when I have another strong, courageous person who is walking with us on this healing journey. Biura Mareuchtuden Mareuchtuda Sober as Sober 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 as